Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management, and today we're celebrating someone special, Glenda Molina. Glenda has been with uh, Silicon Hills Wealth Management now for 10 years. She's our director of financial planning, and she's the recent spotlight in Austin Women's Magazine. So we thought now would be a great time to sit down with Glenda, find out what is really important to her, what she's accomplished over the first 10 years, and what she hopes to accomplish in the future. So I hope you'll join me and welcome Glenda Molina. Thanks, James. Yes. As James mentioned, I'm the director of financial planning. And that journey really began back in college when I majored in finance, but there was a financial planning course that they had. So I just started to take it. And this was important to me because financial literacy, financial stability, that's been a key thing that I want to communicate to everyone. So that's even from family members to friends. And now it's sort of that intersectionality where I can do it at work, so personal and professional. And so to all the women, to the Austin Women's Magazine, I really want to get that message out there that they can attain financial freedom. And someone like me is who can help them with that process. And you've had this concept of mentorship your entire life. It hasn't just started with your employment with Silicon Hills or getting into the financial planning industry. I mean, you've been working with the the Terry Foundation, Breakthrough Austin, other charities like that, helping people with financial literacy from your family to friends to just people that are in that mentorship role, right? Yeah. I volunteered at uh, Foundation Communities as a financial coach, and that was really helping with debt management or living on a fixed income, different things of that sort. I have a matrix in my mind, and the way it is is that when I volunteer, this is fulfilling the financial aspect of it. Then there's also the social aspect of, of volunteering and helping people and, and being out there and doing it with, with like-minded individuals. And so that's where Young Women's Alliance comes into play. And then with cultural, like Hispanic Women's Network of Texas is another organization, and that's statewide. They're helping individuals. In so the it's got to be impactful. It's got to mean something to you culturally, and it's got to be fun. Yes, exactly. It's all of the above. And really, this past last year has really gave me a perspective where I took a pause and really reevaluated things. Because for the past five years beforehand, I had been a member of different organizations. I say, we'll just say like six, because that's probably what the number was. And I actually decreased that to three, because what I realized is that I, I had changed individually as a person. And sort of my values had changed as well, where I became more focused in what I wanted to do so I could be more impactful. When I'm visualizing this matrix, there's four equal quadrants, right? (laughs) Yeah. Is that really how it is? Is there one quadrant that kind of is more important than others as you're reevaluating these things on a regular basis? Yeah, I would would think it was more or less two or three were filling that space of that specific quadrant. But at the end of the day, it wasn't as fulfilling. And so that's when I said, does this align with my values? is it still giving me that same uh, sense of fulfillment as it did before? In some cases, the organization had not changed. They were still doing the same mission. They were still doing great work in the community, but it was I who had changed. Someone had mentioned the other day, what would your legacy be? What would someone say about Glenda Molina? And so that really made me think. And so this matrix that you're using, which I think is a great concept, it's just beautiful. I can just see it. This matrix that you're using, obviously the organizations fit differently into it, but does the matrix change over time too? Do you have to kind of take a step back and go, is this still the same matrix that's important to me that it was uh, years ago? I would have to say yes, because at one point in time, even like education was on that matrix. And that's when we're talking about like Breakthrough Central Texas. That was very important. But then it came down to 
what be, what sort of mattered most. So yes, some, I guess, focus areas or categories drop off and then drop on. But yes, it does change. But as far as the quadrants, I think it's always been four. And even people will say that's a lot. <laughs> so I think if we have more or less, but well, I you know- can't have a matrix with less than four <laughs> quadrants. I mean, every, every quant knows that. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. Have you found that that personal experience and you actually dealing with that has has really paid dividends for clients who haven't developed their matrix yet and are kind of in that spot where they're making gifts or they're doing things in their financial plans, but they're not really feeling engaged or they're not really feeling like they're executing on their own matrix. Maybe they don't even know what their matrix is. I mean, have you, you've been able to take your experience and help them develop one of theirs? Yes. And it was really eye opening because it was sort of aligning their passions. Cause we have the clients who will write a check to different organizations when they get that call. But I felt that the ones that actually knew about the mission were involved in the community as, as like maybe a board member or even volunteering, they felt I would say more empowered that they were doing something for the community. They became the advocate for that nonprofit. It, it is a little bit difficult because everyone needs these dollars, but then it has to come down. What really matters to you? Of course, everyone needs these dollars. There's always going to be some kind of major event, but at the end of the day, what are you most passionate about? And, and maybe what are you most connected to? Yes. One point in time, this organization would be on the map. And then what happens is that then they realized, oh, they weren't as passionate about it. And then something else will either take its place or they become more focused. This is where we talk about designations. So they'll give to this organization, but they may have like a a child's rights initiative or some kind of backpack or mobile pantry initiative that focuses on their community or in this county or this certain area where they know for sure that there's a population there that's underserved that they can help and directly see those results. So I think that's where we get that sense. But it's like you said earlier, there's always a need. Yes. Yeah. The question is, in fulfilling that need, do I really feel that intersection between engagement and impact? making a difference, not only for the ultimate beneficiary of what I'm doing, whether it's opportunity or assistance or whatever it happens to be, but am I getting that inner joy from it too? And I think that's one thing I learned from you is that that inner joy is really a hard thing to measure. And when a person actually gets it, it really makes a difference. And in one of our company retreats, you brought out joy as a core value of our firm. Can Uh, that was really interesting to me because I never thought of joy and financial planning in the same Mm -hmm. sentence, to be honest, even though I I enjoy it and and get some enjoyment out of it. I never put those two together. What made you put joy at the center of your value proposition? Joy, it's because when people are going through the financial planning process, they may feel that it's boring, mundane, all these negative connotations with it. And I wanted to change that narrative. I wanted to say, no, this process is joyful. At the end of us building your financial plan, you will have that peace of mind or be joyful because then you'll be able to accomplish your goals and have more time to do X, Y, Z, whatever is important to you. Going back to the narrative of that experience being joyful, it's just to have fun. I like to say, put the fun in financial planning. And that's just because if I can see it on your face, if you're not enjoying this experience, then we're both not going to enjoy it. But like, if it's something that you have, it has to get done and you have to do it, let's collaborate. Let's work on it together. Let's 
make this a fun activity and or you put your own spin on it. Meet me halfway. If we need to work on visuals, if you need me to present it in a certain way, then I'll do that. If you like written, if you like paper, it's just that method of how we can get that accomplished so that they can find some kind of joy in that process. But but do you find (laughs) with some people that they, they come in thinking financial planning is serious business? And I need to be serious. If I'm having fun, I might not be doing my best work. How do you deal with those commercials? <laughs> we do. Yeah, I was like, we do have the ones who come in with their binders full of information. But I think with those, I try to take a pause and really analyze why are they doing this? At the end of the day, what are they trying to accomplish? What is that goal? You're working so hard, but what's the purpose? I help them with that journey of trying to find that fulfillment. And we have our special tricks uh, and tips to help them along that way. <laughs> yeah. And and with those people who are who are, who are totally serious about the you know about the the financial planning aspect, sometimes one of the more difficult things to get them to do is actually share their story. <clears throat> and I remember you talking about what an important component that was to you, and how that really helped you engage with a client is when they helped you understand their story because you felt like when you understood their story, then you could. You know, utilize your your talents in that CFP realm mm-hmm. to really attack something that was tangible instead of you know, trying to find what was important. Can you kind of let people know who are listening, what's the importance from our side when we're sitting on our side of the desk? What's the importance of that person really sharing their story to the extent that they can? I want to be part of that process with you. I want to help you accomplish those goals. I want to know about your grandchildren. I want to know why you're doing education planning, maybe starting a 529 plan, because maybe you have an alma mater that you want to go to, or maybe they inherited X amount of money and they have a charitable planning journey. They want to carve out some of that money so that they can help organizations or they want to help someone in that area. But the the reason that the story is really important is because that's how I become passionate about it. I want to help you succeed. Do you put yourself as a character in the story once you hear the story? Yes. I feel like I'm that guide. It's Glenda the guide. And I'm walking along that journey with you. And I'm here to provide that guidance. And even if I may not have that answer right away, I know someone that may be able to help you. And then that's what we do here at Silicon Hills Wealth. We guide you through that process. And I've seen intergenerational. So it's from the grandparents, parents, and then the children. And as they get older and start their own personal wealth journey, we help them. And we have their history, that family history that's there that really helps me lean upon it. And then when I hear the different stories from, say, mom, and then I hear the son's story, and I'm like, oh, now it makes sense. It's because you came from East Texas. And that's why I was like, oh, that's why you decided to move back. Like it starts to connect and those stories start to make sense. You can hear the same story from two different perspectives and it it really helps add that together. Yes. If clients want to know why is the story important? Well, it's a value add. You're adding value to our experience, not only to yours personally, but to ours as well, because that's how we can communicate better. Well, I think sometimes if, if I had a criticism to give to our industry as a whole, it would be that sometimes we encourage disconnection. Hmm, How so? Sometimes we encourage clients to say, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Or, you know, don't bother yourself with that. That's what we're here for. Ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, And and I think that in one way, I, I think we're trying to take that worry or that burden off people. But in the same way, we're actually asking them not to be connected. And then when we turn around and we want them to be connected, 
we're sending that mixed message. How do you send that consistent message of, I want you to be connected. I want you to be involved and collaborative, but we've got this. We've got your back and we're doing the right things, but we want you to be constantly connected. How, how do you bridge that? I think that's expectations in that collaborative process. I understand what you're saying because I've experienced it where the client communicated say these certain goals that they wanted at that point in time. But yeah, if you don't check in with them, that's already changed. (laughs) I had a client who said that they wanted to retire at a certain age and then move to this certain location, but then something happened in that their child actually moved away to college, in this case to Colorado, and they're like, well, actually, I don't want to be at the beach. I want to move to Colorado and spend more time with my son or daughter. So I think that's where if you don't keep up those those check-ins with the clients and if you don't have that open communication, then you wouldn't know the next steps or what's happening. You have to be present in their lives. And so I think that's why... Yes, we want to take some of that burden off. And that mainly is more administrative, but it doesn't mean we want to disconnect from your life. We always want to be a part of it and hear those stories. And that's where we get the most joy and hearing these stories (laughs) and these other problems. But that's what we're here for, to walk you through that. Mm -hmm. As you go through that, that's part connection and it's part kindness. I noticed in in your bio with the Awesome Women's Magazine, that connection and kindness were the two were the two general themes that I really took away from it. Talk about how the combination of connection and kindness is better than either kindness or connection in and of itself. Okay. What I think connection means to me and kindness and how they work together. So for connection, those are those underlying threads, those golden threads that you see between individuals, people, ideas. And that's what I do best is connect those two separate things. Kindness, I think of it as acts of kindness. And that's coming to that core value that I believe that acts of kindness can repair the world, can make it a better place. That's what I can control. I can control this one thing, being kind to somebody else and helping that through that process. And so by connecting connection and kindness, that's really saying that I can make this connection and then also I can help you make the world a better place by me helping you. And it's empowering others. And so if you visualize yourself in a superhero cape, is there a big C on the back of it? I wouldn't say a C. I would probably say like a G, G for Glenda. Because <laughs> you can't find me anywhere else, James. This, I'm, I'm a hot commodity, yes. But your superpower is finding those connections that other people might miss. Yeah. Would it be H for like helping? Would it be E for empowering? But yeah, through connection, you can do multiple things. You can empower people. Well, we know the the color of the cape would be pink. Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And that reason why is because pink is a wonderful color. And to me, I love it because it just energizes people. I hope it brings joy to others when I'm either wearing pink or wearing pink lipstick. Pink is a really bold color. It's just like a talking piece that hopefully you'll come up to me and start a conversation and hopefully we'll become friends. I have that sense of community. It's very strong. What what builds a community better than connection and kindness? Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think most clients don't, uh, most people that come to work with us don't really realize when they start working with us that they already have a community in their wealth management. Life. Yes. Yeah. They already have this group of people that they work with. They have this group of people that needs to be connected with. Mm-hmm. And so to me, when you talk about your superpower being connection and kindness, I mean, those are huge assets and, and clients don't often, we think so much quantitatively in our business and we don't think qualitatively. We don't think about 
how can the firm that I'm working with connect with the other people that are important to my wealth management, whether it's family, professionals, friends, trusted relationships, whatever it happens to be, Mm -hmm. how can they connect in and use that level of kindness and invitation to gain more of an understanding about the story and help everybody accomplish things they weren't able to accomplish. So think about a couple of times in your career more recently where you've used that connection, kindness, interest in the story to help clients accomplish something that they were really struggling to accomplish on their own. So I would say back to the acts of kindness, it's that charitable planning, which is what I'm super passionate about. And then with that, it was helping clients to narrow down their mission statement. There's so many organizations finding that mission, what they're passionate about, and then building a program around it so that they could leverage their gifts in multiple ways. And That background really comes from what we have mentioned before, which is the Terry Foundation. The Terrys themselves had a legacy that multiplied between all these different individuals within the state of Texas. And even at one point in time, one of my past coworkers was a Terry. So I think it's the same element is that I feel that all of our clients have that ability to have that legacy, to make that impact. And so we try to do the best. So in this case, it was a charitable planning. I know in another case, it's right now, it's just they're right about to retire. They probably have a year or two left. And then it's also helping them think through after they retire, what do they want to do with their time? And people always think, okay, gardening. But yeah, we sort of, sort of have that direction and be like, okay, what about gardening? Do, or even is it gardening or is it something about um, sustainability? Maybe it's food related. Then I start to bring new ideas to them like the Central Texas Food Bank So we try to make those connections to make them feel even after they retire that they have some kind of new thing or new purpose that they can do. Because for a lot of people, work is their number one purpose. Because work provides that structure that people can look back on, or is it work providing the the monetary sustainability for the life that they want to live currently or live in the future? Why is work such a strong focal point for most people that, that we work with? I think to to your point, it's that structure. It's that day in, day out. It's something that they have to look forward to. It's that future plan. So I think after retirement, people are looking forward to traveling, but then after they're done traveling, what do they do next? We help them work through those new passion projects. And then how can we help you accomplish that? One of our clients, they're doing like Airbnb, where they're going to rent out eventually an old caboose or like this old train. Yeah, and we now can, they have we can retire from our job, but retiring from entrepreneurialism and attire, you know, yeah, retiring exactly. from that active mindset is is not something I ever want to retire from, right? I mean, right. You're always coming up with these ideas, and it just takes a different form. So you are working after you retire, but you're working on things you love, and you have time to do. That's what here at Silicon Hills. That's what we help you do is get you on that right path. Yeah, and I don't even like to use the term work and retire. I, I think those two terms should probably be retired. Ex- ex- <laughs> yeah, excommunicated from our terminology. I, I like to use the term active and passive. Ooh, okay. Do I want to be active in my life mm-hmm. or passive in my life? And there's times when you want to be passive. There's times when you want to just sit on the beach and take it all in, and that's fine. And there's times that you want to be active. And I think. We've done a poor job in the past of associating work and active as if they were the same thing. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think our clients look 
a lot of times at that six letter word retire and see themselves moving from the active goal oriented achievement person that they are into this passive sitting back, watching the world go by. And how can you feel comfortable with that? I, it's really a struggle in our business because on the one hand, we're tasked with this ultimate goal of doing as well as we can for people so that their finances let them do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. But in the past, that has also been now that you can do whatever you want. Is it the best time to do what you want? Yeah, I believe if you're at pre-retirement or even before retiring to enjoy that process. But yes, we do let our clients have a more substantial travel budget. But the whole idea is that to spend doing more of what you want while you can. Because we unfortunately we do have clients that by the time they can travel, they may have a knee issue or something else where they really couldn't have enjoyed it at that, that time. Or, or even the person that they envision themselves being able to travel with can't travel with them. Yeah, exactly. But I do like what you were saying before, to be active in your life and to be out there enjoying it. So I think that may look different to different people, but we should definitely retire the word retired because it should be, I don't know, maybe it's joy 2.0. That's not a goal that I want to necessarily strive toward, but let's just turn the page a little bit and change the subject and talk about the type of people that we work with. Because it seems to me that even over the course of my career that when I first started, a lot of times what I was doing with clients was giving them the news. Hmm, okay. I was actually telling them the things that our clients already know when they get here today. And so a big part of our job 25, 30 years ago was to just explain what had gone on. And, and I think you're growing up and your first 10 years in the business are 10 years where pretty much if there's current events and really important news, 95% of our clients know it about the same time we do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of weird. They've got all this additional knowledge, but I'm not sure it's being utilized well other than just having the knowledge. In working with clients who are more informed and they're more plugged in, how do you still communicate our value? How do you help them still accomplish those things that they're not able to accomplish, even though they have access to all that information. I feel like sometimes we're a translator. We do a translation because there is a lot of information, but we help them pick out what information is actually most important, what to highlight. And then even when they're in that retirement process and they're thinking about all these retirement options that they can take, well, that's when the financial planning process comes into play. We have that knowledge and we have the knowledge of current events that are happening to really help us help you make the best decision or the decision that's right at that time and that moment for you. So, yeah, I think overload of information can be very overwhelming at times, but that's what Silicon Hills does well is that sounding board. It's what makes the most sense to you. And that's what we're here for. So in addition to being a guide, you're also a translator. Yes, so you take them to where they need to go and then you tell them, <laughs> you really explain to them what they're seeing. What about that third component? What about the motivator? What, how do you, how do you get them to see what you see and get them to take the actions they need to take to make it happen? That's a little bit harder because I feel like sometimes there's either like a rhythm or a mood 
or it's timing. So I think it's finding that right time to have those conversations when the client or you even as an individual are receptive to that information. And normally we have, or normally I like to tell clients when you're ready to talk about this, I'll be here and I'm available. Cause sometimes they're either bogged down or there's this like fog. There's something that they're just, their brain is not receptive to having those answers given to them at that time. And I understand that. And it's letting them know I'm here, I'm patient and I will be here for when you are ready to have that conversation we really love our clients to be collaborative with us, to be honest. And when you build that relationship with them, that's when they are honest with you. You talk about the story. They're unveiling their story to you a chapter at a time. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that they're withholding the chapter. They might not know what's in the chapter yet. And so it's not a lack of motivation necessarily. It's just this hesitancy while they try to really understand and get comfortable with where they are. Yeah. And and that's where really where I do best is when a client already has that sort of direction or that vision and I can see it with them. Like once they can give me that clear vision of like, Glenda, I want to do X, Y, Z, then that's where my tactical, that operational base experience comes into play because I can make it happen. (laughs) That's the activator, that strength in me that says, okay, you want to go there? Let's go. And and it's a fun journey. When we were on our uh, podcast with the Thinkery executives, oh, yeah. they, they brought up something that I, I think I'd heard it before, but I'd never heard it mentioned this way. I think it was Shalaya who said that engagement happens at the speed of trust. Oh, yes. Yeah, I and, firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. And they also talked about trusted partners helping start or build a foundation for that. And so as you're going through and you're trying to motivate, you're walking that fine line between patience and motivation, right? Between collaboration and instigation. I mean, you're holding them back and pushing them forward and holding them back and pushing them forward. How do you know when you push too far? How do you know when you're holding back too much? What's the sign? Yeah, I can see that because even your previous question was about motivation. I'm always a cheerleader. I'm always here to motivate and I'm always here to get them to that process. But I think what I do best is those series of steps, those little wins along the way. And I think that's how we can move the dial. So for me personally, it's just taking one step at a time and then getting there. And so that's how we go through that process. But it's really, like you said, it's at the speed of what the client wants to do, but I still want to help them achieve X, Y, Z. So yes, I will be a little bit pushy uh, to do X, Y, Z if they need to, but I wouldn't say pushy. It would just be a... Friendly reminders. <laughs> well, sometimes as a guide, you walk a little faster ahead of them. Yeah. Kind of speed them up, right? Yeah. So the other part of that that's interesting to me is when you talk about those little steps, how do you go back with the client and celebrate those small wins? How do you go back and, and remind them? Sometimes with a lot of our clients, they see this big picture goal. They see where they're starting. And they don't see all those steps in the middle that you see. Mm-hmm. And so until they get to the end, they don't really feel like they've accomplished anything. Oh, but they have. How do you let them know they've done that? And once you let them know and they understand it, how does that help them get to that ultimate goal? That's where that joy and that fun and financial planning part of it comes into play. Because I tell clients or I liked when they've achieved something, I congratulate them. I say, wow, you've done an amazing job. And I like to tell them that when I've seen it. We celebrate those wins for them because they may not recognize them. But what they don't know is that I have, it's like that peer group knowledge. 
I have all these other clients and I know based upon this experience, this knowledge that they've actually achieved something that maybe our other clients haven't yet at that time. And so when I communicate that to the client, that's how we help them to celebrate those wins. Oh, that's such a good point because we're all looking to have some sort of comparison or benchmark. benchmark. How's my net worth doing? How's my income level? I mean, it, am I am I farther along than most people? Or let me know where I stand. Mm-hmm. And so being able to tell somebody, this is something that's typically really hard for our average client and you've already done it. Yeah. And that's got to be really empowering. Yes. As we start looking forward, I mean, obviously you're director of financial planning now and the and the industry changes, it gets more dynamic and the people get more dynamic every day. But what do you see as the future of our industry? Where do you see our industry going and where would you hope to push our industry if you had a seat at the table to help drive that train? I think it's that that opportunity for all individuals, not just high net worth individuals, to really take advantage of financial planning, financial literacy, and becoming financially stable. I think that's where I would like to see it. I know we do do pro bono sometimes for different clients and different things, but really everyone should have the opportunity to to have financial freedom. The so industry- you would look at, at financial planning as a basic human right? Yes. And it should also be financial literacy. I don't know where it disappeared in high school curriculum, but a lot of kids, like the students that I work with, Terry Foundation, it's just, it's not a component that they learn. And I think we really need to put that in our education system. It's just financial 101. What is, what does this student loan mean to me? What is that interest rate? Like all this different information. Do I take out credit cards? How do I get my first car loan? It's just important information that if you're established or if it's established correctly in the beginning, you'll have more financial success in the future. Whereas those first initial stages can be very detrimental to people. And do you think that's going to take place in a traditional community setting? Do you think it's something that has to be reemphasized on in public schools? Is it something that has to be reintroduced in a sociological setting? Or is it something where the, the next generation is going to be engaged on a platform, be it Substack or... Or Reddit or something like that. And that's how they're going to get their financial literacy. Yes. I think it's somewhat happening now. And that's just like you had mentioned, that prevalence of information, even YouTube videos where you can find like how to create a budget 101. Things are, it's just that information is available. So I think, yes, in the future, it would be something that's dispensed somewhat like the way YouTube is just to the masses where it's all this information is available, just like by click at a button. I know with some of the new name, image, and likeness legislation that's coming forward for the student-athletes in college, that in in many states, part of the ability to receive those benefits is to go through a financial literacy course. Mm -hmm. And it just really stunned me that on the one hand, financial literacy is going to be this basic component of being able to participate in this program, but yet the vast majority of students who are never going to be athletes or compensated for name, image, and likeness, but who are still going to have careers and still going to have, I mean, financial literacy is still just as important to them. Mm-hmm. That's not a major component. Why isn't financial literacy right up there with government and history and uh, and everything else? I've never really understood why that wasn't. Yeah, I'm not really sure. And then I think that's where 
I even helped like organizations, like did a presentation, I called it Benjamin's 101. But it was just to go over these basic facts and even like your FICO score. So people don't even know how to under like understand it or what does it mean? What are the different inputs that create that score? So yeah, I'm not really sure. But I think what I mentioned before is that act of kindness, that volunteering, as long as we're volunteering, where we can do those steps. But I, we definitely can do better. Well, financial literacy is a very subjective thing. I mean, for our clients, most of our clients are what would be labeled as high net worth or ultra high net worth. Mm-hmm. And so their their concerns for their children are a little bit different. I mean, they want their, their children to understand financial literacy from the component as an investor and as an estate planner and as a charitable participant mm-hmm. in the community. Those sorts of things. I remember when I was growing up, we were probably low income, but I learned a lot of things about financial literacy from my mom, but none of them were about investments. I mean, I could tell you how long a payday loan was. Financial literacy is such a, such a different thing depending on your reality. How do you take what's a subjective or maybe a very targeted reality for people and expand on it. How do you get somebody who grew up in my situation to be interested in investments? And how do you get some of the ultra high net worth generation to be interested in, in payday loans and renters? That is a really difficult question because it's the interest and well-being of other people. And that is a bit difficult. But I think for the reverse, for the the lower income investments, it's just what opportunities does that provide? And then if you're already high income, or if you already have that legacy, that family wealth, then it's hopefully imparting that wisdom of what those dollars can do for other people, that impact that it can make. I think we've seen it maybe in a few cases where, you know, college funds set up through that Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, where they've let the they've let the miner have more of an access mm-hmm. into the, the management of the account or, or things of that nature. It still seems to be fairly limited. And, and most of that education seems to be coming from home, seems to be coming from mom and dad. I have noticed with the, the Gen Z and younger uh, generation, I'm not sure they're formally getting financial literacy, but they seem to really be more financially literate than they seem to have access and understanding of more of it. And I'm not sure if it's just the prevalence of information or what. Yeah. And it may not be investments. What I've been seeing is that prevalence in like real estate, they're making real estate purchases and rental income. They're getting properties, renting them out and making income that way. So they are doing it, but in a different way. And so if we look at clients in a broad base, we've had a group that when I first started in the business, they worked at the same company for 15 to 20 years. They would have some expectation of a pension. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of translated into people that probably didn't work for the same company for 20 years, but they might be in the same industry for 20 years. And instead of having a pension, they might have a 401k or some other kind of company benefit that was portable that they carried with them. And now what we're seeing, it seems like more and more is people creating their own industries within an industry they're not staying with the same quote unquote company for five years or seven years, or even staying in the same industry they're getting in that industry and really with side hustles and and, and just different ways and gigs and the way they're doing things. Am I overstating that or is that a huge 
trend that you see coming forward? If we look ahead 20 years, are we going to see anybody still living that traditional financial planning lifestyle? I think so. Because what's going to happen is that being that entrepreneur going out there and having the different side hustles can that that can at some point be exhausting. So I think it'll be like a rubber band where they'll flex those opportunities out there, but then they're going to snap back. As you know, pensions are disappearing. And so people are going to want that guarantee. But the thing is, they also want that freedom and that flexibility to do what they want. There's so many opportunities. People are really doing two things. Like my best friend, she works for an agency, SEO, more analytics, but she's also teaching a course in marketing as well. And that's because she loves it. So they're just flexing their mind muscles in different ways now. But I think it's not an obligation. It's more of a choice and because they love to do it and they want to do it. And that's where I've seen even for small business owners, it's just because it's either a craft or hobby that like took off to something that they really love to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit on something that's huge. It, it, it used to be that if, if you were involved in a particular profession, you wouldn't consider doing a side gig or a side hustle on something that was completely unrelated mm-hmm. to your profession or your career. There was this mindset that you could only be good at one thing. Yeah, no, that's again, yeah, that's You could only not the earn, earn income from one thing. You couldn't possibly be good enough at two or three things to earn two or three different income streams off of it. And I think when we're looking at the grandparents and the parents of this generation, they are still locked in that mindset. And the kids are like, well, why not? Why can't I be mm-hmm. good enough at two or three things? These three things all interest me. Yeah. Why do I have to pick one? They surprised me. One person wrote a book. Another one became a private pilot. But what I've noticed is that now they have opportunities to do so and they're taking full advantage of it. So I think that's what's really exciting is that never underestimate people or individuals, even with yourself, James, you're now you're going into like this podcast realm, like a couple of years back. Would you have thought that was something? Oh no. And it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do a fabulous job, but it's experiencing something different and just flexing that other muscle that it's always been there. And now it's just having those resources. And I think once you do that, once you encompass that mindset or embrace that mindset, it's really easy to retire from one thing, especially when you've been doing it your whole life and and some of the bloom has come off the proverbial rose or however you would say it. But when you're doing multiple things and transitioning all the time, retirement as a concept goes away because it's what, what am I retiring from? I may stop doing this one thing. I mean, who knows? Maybe I don't do another podcast and yeah. in six months, maybe there's something else. Right. But I think that mindset is something that we as financial planners have to really embrace. And we have to help people understand that the traditional metrics and the traditional chassis that our business was built on is changing dramatically. Yeah. You've had a conversation the other day too, where it's like, well, I'll retire from this job, but do you think I can actually be a consultant or do X, Y, Z and get this amount of money for it? Why not? There's no defined line anymore. That's where we're helping. We're empowering other people to be confident that they can become a consultant and do X, Y, Z or do what they want to do. Well, and I think if we're being honest in terms of our our industry and how it's if we look at our industry 40, 50 years ago, it was very segmented. Mm-hmm. And you had your brokers. They were the people that you went and bought stocks and bonds through. Mm-hmm. You had your insurance advisors. They were the people that you went and bought your life insurance and health insurance from. 
and on and on and on. Everybody was very segmented. Mm-hmm. And you did your thing and that was it. And you didn't cross lines. And frankly, clients didn't ask you to cross lines. They, they wanted their CPA, their broker, their insurance advisor. And you see it when you get these forms today that people are expecting people to fill out. There are all these different professional highlights mm-hmm. where they expect a different name or a different company in every one of those lines. And the reality is, I think for the younger clients and even some of our clients that are in that Gen X and, and older generations, they expect that wealth management firm to do more. They don't expect necessarily to have a separate life insurance person or a separate investment person or a separate accounting person or a separate career advisor. And I just think that to me, what's going to happen over the next 10 or 15 years is that wealth management firms, career advising firms, insurance firms, all they're just going to merge into this one entity that can be ultimately collaborative on all the different elements of your, your financial plan. I mean, why should you have to leave your wealth manager's office to talk about what you need to do to start this new career? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know how fast that, happens, but I can already see in the communities that are developing on the internet, certainly in Reddit, if you look at any, if you look at any Reddit thread for longer than mm-hmm. 20 minutes, you can just see a community developing out of just one question or out of just one topic. It's really kind of <laughs> enlightening and frightening at the same time. So you're kind of right in the middle of that. I mean, you're, you've got some of those Gen Z tendencies, right? And some of the some of the generation X boomer tendencies. Is that a spot that makes you uniquely capable of handling this future transition or not? Um, I think yes, but I also have much respect for our insurance specialists, for our CPAs, for our state planning attorneys. I understand your concept of saying it should just be on one place and that you trust that one individual. But it's that development of thought, that back and forth, meeting with your different other professionals, your center of influences, those trusted network, that you get more ideas and better ideas when more people are thinking of this one solution for you. And that's where you learn and it's that collaboration. So I actually like when we're actually separated. There's so much information for us as planners that we're learning every day. And I think it's best when you have your other experts that you can go to because then they specialize in that one area. Experts are definitely important. So you're, you're saying there's still going to be a lot of value in that community, maybe more so than trying to bring all that community in-house. Yeah. If that community is to remain prevalent and if – I think we do agree on the fact that the client is going to be – their expectation is going to be that that community is working together on their behalf. Yes. Right? Whether it's in-house or – yeah, I think different those different ideas that you can get just with meeting. I guess that's my sense of community, James. I just love meeting more people and knowing more people. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and I, I think that takes us back to connection and kindness, right? Because if that community is the primary role for the client that's seeking financial advice in the future, mm-hmm. and if the connectedness of that community is the real value proposition, yeah, then it's that connection and kindness and finding willing partners to share their expertise and share their credit and work all work together on behalf of the client is really where 
that would be a heck of a place for our industry to be going. If that's where we're going, I'm happy to hear it. So we'll, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Personally, what over the next, if we're having this discussion five years from now, what, what do you hope you'll be able to tell me then that you're not able to tell me now? Hmm, good question. I think hopefully more financial planners that are women as well as women of color. Personally, even outside of, outside of investments, just your own personal goals for yourself. My personal goals for myself is really having more time to, to travel and to enjoy, like more working like remotely, but in different exotic locations, which I think we're working on. I've added that to our plan, our strategic plan. It's just being flexible and being able to do your work that you love to do, but from wherever and not necessarily just from that main like, office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finding the right environment where you do your best work. Yep. And if that environment happens to be on the beach in Hawaii, well, then yes. that's just where it is. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's where COVID really pushed us to that, being able to, through Zoom and through virtual meetings, being able to offer that service anywhere. That's what's really exciting. Because at the end of the day, I love financial planning. It's taking that story and developing the plan off of it. Yep. And it's doing so with joy and mm-hmm. you provide that joy through connection and kindness. And at the end of the day, it's all, it's all about our clients because that's where I have the most fun, obviously, is working with our clients, helping them to achieve their goals for their family and just their overall personal goals too. I, I get so much fulfillment when they succeed. That's why I'm in this business. Mm-hmm. See everyone well, shine. Well, Glenda, thank you so much. And I just would encourage everyone who's listening to check out the next edition of the Awesome Women's Magazine to see Glenda. It's a fantastic photo and a a fantastic hour that we spent learning a little bit more about you and what you think and, and how you see the future of our business and, and your part in it. So thanks thanks for joining us. Bye.